Brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Loving That Sports Talk with your host, James Loving. If you're looking for a fast-paced show that covers football and so much more, this is the place to be. Now, here's your host, formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles, James Loving. This is James Loving, your host of Loving That Sports Talk. Like I say, always we have a great show every week. This show is special to me. I mean, not only... Um, a great show, but something that goes in my heart about what's going on in life with players and, um, well, not only players, but the help they can get and how we can help them and all that. But I got to start off. I got two guests today. Um, one of my guests was when I found out the real name of the guest was, I was crazy. I'm like, oh, I used to watch when I was young, but he's not that old. But I like first introduce my guest. I met, um, a year ago, a young lady that had been on my show before and, um, the things she does to help players and all like that. Um, and we're going to talk about what she's doing. But I'd like to do my guest, Nally Gray. You that Nally? Yes, I am. How are you, James? Good. How are you today, Nally? Glad to have you back on. Thank you for having me. Well, now, what we're going to do before we get to you talking about what you do uh, real quick, let's get our other guests on here, too, and then we can, uh, do, then we can, you know, we all tell, you know, about a little bit about ourselves, and I can do a little about the bio tree. Uh, but um, now you, know, uh, you met this um, this um, the guest, and man, I'm stuttering because you know just to have the privilege to talk to him and then look at you know what he's doing. Um, former NFL player, uh, played with Detroit. Um, everybody, welcome Eric Hippel. You there, Eric? I hear James, man. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate I appreciate the uh, the praise, man. And um, yeah, I am that old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you're not. I feel he was one of the great, unbelievable. But I, I called Nally about last night because I've been running around town. But I said, "You got air hips." She's like, "You know." I'm like, "Do I know him?" I just couldn't stop smiling. Like, man, I can't wait. But uh, pleasure to have you on. Well, very well, good, man. Nally, um, go ahead and tell her about yourself, Nally. You know, uh, we had you on before. We talked about you know, the help for the players and what you do. And uh, go ahead real quick, you know. Well, real quick, uh, again, thanks for having me. I, I have been on your show before talking about different issues as it relates to uh, mental health. I, I think the last time I was on, we were talking about domestic violence with the Ray Rice incident. Um, but generally speaking, um, I am a psychotherapist that has a private practice in downtown Chicago, and I specialize in working with athletes um, that have issues or concerns off the off the court. And in a nutshell, that's pretty much what I do. Uh, well, go ahead, Eric. I have your bio, but I'd rather you, you know, explain a little bit. Yeah, about, yeah. Let me let me let me talk talk doing the show. <laughs> I can talk more. Too. Go ahead. I'm good at it. <laughs> Um, no, you know, after um, after I retired, after I left the game, after ten years with Detroit, you know, and, and seven surgeries, and and always getting beat up when I played Chicago, <laughs> um, I um, you know I went to the transition period, but I you know I started a business, but uh, you know several years in that business, about six years into that business, I just flattened out, and um, I didn't know what was going on with me, and and in that process, you know, I had my own mental health issues, and then it culminated, you know, that uh, not getting help meant I didn't have the right information, and long story short, we then had a, uh, a 15-year-old son who was a, uh, who was the captain of his freshman basketball team, uh, went through a depression and ended up taking his life, and so that put me front and center into this mental health world and understanding um, what goes on and what happens, because as athletes, you know, we don't really think this part of it. It's about the mental toughness side, about getting up when you get knocked down and and, you know, running through walls and stuff, you don't think about the actual mental health side. And so I, I 
proceeded to um, try and get uh, help. I got treatment, but I also got an education. Uh, a lot of it through the University of Michigan Depression Center. Uh, they hired me. We started working with um, with youth. I started working with uh, sports teams in high schools, and then it branched out into the NFL when we started doing evaluations, um, psychiatric evaluations uh, for former players through U of M, and then it's grown a lot much wider than that. So now we're we're actually through the Eisenhower Center have a program called After the Impact, which we actually uh, uh, do treatment. You know, thirty day treatment stays for um, for guys who are going through the behavioral transitional post concussive syndrome or just in general, you know, behavioral issues that, that sometimes happen with people. And as Natalie can tell you, you know, the one in four is true. You know, one in four people, regardless if you're an athlete or not an athlete, you know, you, you're susceptible to uh, brain illnesses. You, and you know, I love that, Eric. And while we're going through the show, I'm looking at your bio, I mean, just uh, unbelievable. Just I told you I'm not all smiles there. I told Natalie, you know, the, she's so, been so great to me and all, but, let, let's start off. Let's, you know, let's get going. I mean, we got all show. I like to get everything in. What I like to do, I like to ask you, get you guys questions. I mean, you want to go first, Nally Anson or um, Eric, you know, which one. But before I get to question, I got one that I like. You know, I like, um, I think, Eric, like, if you could respond first. And then, Nally, you, you come back and respond on this one, you know, that uh, and how you feel that little thing. But my question is, Eric, and I spoke to Nally about it. She's been helping me, like, James, I can help you, you know, I wouldn't know what you went through, but Eric, why is it that um like when I got through playing, I was so sad and depressed, but why am I depressed? I mean, only two percent I'd say in the world make it to the NFL, but after I was there I was so depressed. I mean, why do we get so depressed? That's a, you know, it's a great question and it's one I think a lot of people overlook that um that transitional piece is so important. And and there's there's some things that are involved in that that a lot of people don't think about. So let's take loss, first of all. Okay, the day that you're caught, the day that you're released, whether it's from injury or just because you're, you're beat up and can't play anymore or, or they don't like you anymore, whatever it is. But that day, you lose your income, you lose your support system, you lose your friends in the locker room, you lose your training staff, which is your doctors, and you lose that structure that you have. And so there's a lot of loss involved, including the loss of your identity. And that loss is huge. And normally, when people go through a loss, they would go to see a grief counselor. They would, you know, understand the stages of grief and what would be expected of that, which is sleep issues, which is you know, anxiety, you know, which is, um, you know, uh, can be anger outbursts and stuff like that. And, 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 and finally ends with acceptance. But if you've never been taught that, those losses last and they have psychological consequences Depression being one of them because not understanding what's happening to you when you were vital and you were at the top of your game to all of a sudden now feeling hopelessness, feeling worthless, feeling lost and without having any direction is huge. The other part of that, when you start combining it to injuries and all of a sudden not being active and the injuries start to catch up and uh, slow down your mobility then the, the ability to go out and exercise, and which has always been part of an athlete's life, it actually acts as an antidepressant. And all of a sudden you stop doing that, and now it's just like going off antidepressant medications. And all of a sudden the, that has an effect on you as well. And then if you want to throw one more curve at it, you know, the, the fact of getting, you know, bouncing your head against somebody else for, for your years can have an exasperate um, depression which is, you know, some of it in the prefrontal cortex, um, which, can, you know, uh, can affect, you know, our decision-making. It can affect, you know, our impulsiveness. And then when all of a sudden we're stagnant and get and kind of lost in a support system, we just don't know where to turn, and so this kind of a fear kind of sets in. And the biggest thing, I think the biggest problem, at least the biggest mental health problem uh, that can cause depression is the unknown. We don't know where to turn next, okay? We don't know who we are. And we don't know why we're feeling the way that we do. And when that happens, that anxiety can even lead to more depression. So that's kind of a, a snapshot, you know, snapshot of what happens when a when a player leaves, regardless if it's college or professional. The thing about professional is if you played five years or six years, when you do leave, now your comp- competition in the in the work field is against guys who have worked at that career for five or six years, and that they're that much ahead of you. And trying to step in that role is really difficult. Wow, now Yeah, I would agree with everything 
that Eric stated. I think the biggest thing is the loss of identity. That's a huge thing that, as it relates to athletes, when they leave the game or they're forced out of the game, that's a big challenge because it's, it's, the question has to be asked, who am I now that I'm not playing? So, so that's a big part of it, so I totally agree with that. And then there's a such thing as situational depression where, you know, you, you've gotten injured or um, you've lost your, your starting position or something of that sort. That can create depression also. But then for some of us, it's just simply brain chemistry where we wake up and we're experiencing symptoms of a depressed mood, change in sleeping habits, change of eating habits, unable to function as normally as they used to, and that just creates a depressed mood. And these symptoms go on for two to three weeks. It's it's not just a one-day or two-day experience. This is ongoing. And when we see that in, in our loved ones or someone we're coaching or training, we have to take note of that and address that because it's very serious. James, um, Natalie brought up a really important point. Um, it's um, that brain chemistry. Some of us, you know, a certain amount of people, in, in, you know, are going to have it, but have a predisposition for the brain chemistry for depression. But you right. can take some sort of trauma or traumatic event or situational change or some, some transitional moment that makes that happen. So it could come through a divorce, it could come through an accident, it come through an injury, and it could come through being cut a traumatic event that can come through some of those things where you have a major change in your life and that it also expresses that gene that causes that depression. And so that's a great point. Yeah. The, the brain, the brain chemistry itself. Right. Let's, let's go a little farther. Let's go this. Uh, got a question. I want you to start off Nellie and then you, Eric, and give you, you know, because that's a good point with you saying, you know, I didn't know all that. Like you're losing all your, your friends and family because it is a family. You know that Eric. That's your yeah. family that you would every day, grinding in and out. So, so let, me, let, me, let me ask you this. What is the difference between sports social work and sports psychology? Now you can, because that goes into what um, you got going on now, the one of four projects that's coming up and you on the board here. So go on that now and then you, you respond to that, Eric, please. Absolutely. Well, when we think about um, mental health, as it relates to sports, if people think about it at all, they're going to think about it as it relates to sports psychology. And sports psychology is dealing with performance on the field. When we're talking about sports social work, when we're talking about mental health as it relates to sports, we're talking about issues off the, off the field, off the court, which could be Depression, as we've talked about, it could be substance abuse, it could be anger management, anxiety, personality disorders, anything like that. That's what we're focusing with. And to, to the point that this is so important, um, I created an organization called the One in Four Project. And, and the reason behind the name is one in four people in any given year suffer from mental illness. One in four people, so if four people are in a room, one person is likely to have experienced alcoholism, anxiety, depression, uh, a number of things. So with this organization, we've really decided that we really need to bring awareness and some education and treatment to the sports community as it relates to mental health. And um, that makes us very different than sports psychology, where we can do on-court on or on-field performance as well. But the focus for us is really what's going after or before you began a sport. What's going on when you're at home? What's going on when you're in your off-season? What's going on throughout your season and you're having challenges? And I feel that there's, there's not enough information and there's not enough treatment going on for these athletes, and they're kind of just left dangling to figure out what's going on. And, and so that's been kind of the motivation for me with my private practice, the work that I do in starting this organization, the One in Four Project. Well, yeah, before you answer that, uh, Kevin, uh, we're yeah. going to go break at the, not this one, but the next one. I came in late. I forgot to tell him we're going to skip this break up to the next one, but... 
Go ahead, Eric. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. The um, I I think that's a huge. That's a great point. And, and James, great question. The um, sports psychology was around performance. And in fact, I can remember. Hey, we're going to have the sports psychologist come in. Psychologist. It's a sports psychologist. Oh, okay. In that case, you're going to help me perform better. And so they really focused on those things about envisioning your 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 play. You know, um, how to stay focused. And but also, um, you know, that mental toughness piece that, you know, like, you know, how do I perform when I'm overcoming something? So it's performance, performance based. And, uh, right. and I, I love what Natalie's doing because it's the social work around it. It surrounds the person with all those other things that are about mental health that are really important. Several years ago, I want to say about four years ago, five years ago, um, um, I got a call from a coach. And, and, and you know as well as I do how much coaches anymore are, are like the second father or the, as many times the parents, you know, that, 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 yeah. that yeah. stand in line, that have to deal with all these social issues around somebody, not just about the performance anymore. But I got a call from a guy uh, who was a coach, and his, his uh, son in college had OCD. Coach didn't understand him anyway, benched him, he ended up taking his life. And, um, and this guy asked me to come in and, and talk to the coaches at the Nike Coach of the Year camp. And it was basically going in and teaching this workshop to coaches about all the mental health aspects of it, the medications, what some players, some kids can be on, you know, what's, what's, uh, you know, what do these things look like, how come some are antsy, how come some aren't, but just so they got a picture of it. And that was kind of that social thing around it. What does this look like? Because they're going to have to deal with family situations. They're going to have to deal with, you know, with um, uh, with learning disabilities and stuff, and some kids, mm. and so those are the things. You know, the social work around it, and how to maintain a mental health. Okay, that's not just about performance, but it's about the person itself. And I think that's I think that's the big difference. And, and that's exactly right. That how the the one another difference that that the field of social work addresses that is a little bit different than psychology um, is that. The psychology, the psychologist looks at the brain and the thought process, which is very important. But what social workers do, they look at the environment, they look at culture, they look at religion, they look at race, they look at economic status, because all of those things are the community that someone grew up in. All of those things make us who we are. And so we believe that we have to look at all of those things to really understand what's going on with an individual. And so when we have, you know, a a situation on a team, we are able to get involved with the culture and understand the ins and outs of that because everything is just not about a thought process, which is that is a big part of it, but that's not everything. That's not, you know, our experiences make up who we are as well. And so that, that really distinguishes the sports social worker from a sports psychologist as well. But I mean, um, Eric and now I mean, who I want to ask is, but do that really define a person? Like if they came out of the, the ghetto, you say, or, or that person, because it's really not though. Is that, I mean, most people say, well, he came out of constant all that. That shouldn't show that, you know, he really wants to succeed in life. Right. Well, no, it's it's not about that defines you. It It is an experience. So you may look at it. It doesn't even have to be a ghetto. It could just be someone who grew up on, on the south side of Chicago and someone who grew up in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Those two people could be at the same age, same sex, same race, and they view things very differently. And, and where you grew up or your environment shapes your perspective. Now, does that define you? Does that, does that if you come from a difficult place or, or a lower economic background, does that mean that you're stuck there? Absolutely not. And we, we've had time and time proof of that, that that's not the case. But the way we view the world does shape us. Our families, the families we grew up in. That's safe. I, I, yeah, I'll say it this way, James. The, 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 uh, the stories that we have, you know, in our being raised, where we come from, all those social things, they shape us, but they don't define us. What defines right. us is what we do about them. And that's the important thing. So if you understand it better, okay, or those that you're dealing with or the coaches, and the, the more you understand, the, the easier that becomes to, to um, free the person up. I, I'll say this, this is an interesting thing, but um, 
there was a uh, research thing that came out. It was on a um, on a PTSD uh, returning veterans, and they looked at this, this the sleep inventory is what it's called. Um, they were hyper vigilant. They had trouble sleeping. You know, right? And then they did a study into the urban areas, and they looked at and they said some of these kids that grow up in high you know in high uh, crime areas have the sleep same sleep inventory that returning veterans do. And so that means mm-hmm. their sleep vigilance and everything else is affecting who they are and their ability to learn. And so when you look at that, that in an environmental standpoint of view, from a social standpoint of view, that would have a lot to do with all of a sudden you have a kid who's, you know, that's, um, he can perform well, but maybe he's not doing well in school. Or something else. So you look at that and say maybe it has to do with this hypervigilance that he has and sleep problems and stuff. So, so it, it does, that social aspect of it has a lot to do and I, I think actually can benefit the athlete. That's a that's a that's a really great point. Uh, when you were saying that, Eric, I was actually thinking about um, a football player, a high school student who I actually worked with that really fit that criteria. Um, um, grew up and witnessed a lot of violence, experienced death, and there were a lot of challenges. And he he made the uh, football team, and I was brought in to work with him because he had a difficult time. Assimilating to the, the to the football team's culture, he was very torn. Where where the, his community, he felt drawn to do things there, but then he was this football player, and then you know experiencing and witnessing the things that he saw just internally what he was going through. So I think that's an excellent point. And when you don't take into account of those factors we do a disservice to these athletes. And so, you know, I, I went to the coach and kind of talked to him and explained to him, you know, how you may have to work with him in this way and understand what's happening. And, and, and there's some, some internal conflicts and, and turmoil. And he's trying to find an identity with being a football player, but it's very difficult. And, and coaches aren't trained to understand that. They're not even thinking about that kind of stuff. They're thinking about, wins and losses, which is their job and which is appropriate. And that's why it's so important that mental health professionals are involved with sports because we do get that stuff. We understand it, and we can provide the proper support for a lot of these men and women, young men and women. Well, Nellie, Eric, I mean, I got this question. I got to be honest there. I was, I mean, so uh, happy to do this with you and Nellie, but, um, I'm not aware of what, you know, and, and I want to talk later too about your book, but I'm going to buy it. But um, with the help of Nellie, because I've been trying to get her to help me, but she's been doing it. You know, I'm the one who admitted, hey, I need to know more about this. So, you know, these questions Nellie came up with me for, and it's amazing, the question. I want to learn more, too, you know. So I got, you know, Nellie came with these questions, and a great question. I'm glad to answer. So um, I just got to, you know, this one right here is like, you know, what is, but the one I want to ask you though, Eric, and you know, and, and now you get into it though, but how do um, injuries affect mental health in athletes? I mean, well, the, you know, injury in itself, it, you know, if you, if you look at the, the way, I guess the way, the easiest way to answer that for me is, you know, the, the, the brain's always trying to solve problems. In other words, uh, and, and so we study mm-hmm. film, you know, we look at the other teams to gain knowledge on how to approach that. And, you know, so the more laws we have, the more successful we'll be. But there's certain things that can get in the way. A brain injury, for example, can get in the way of that. Um, but so can injury. And injury in itself, you know, the, the trauma of the injury, having to go through rehab, having to fight back to get a starting job back again, those are, those are tough things. They, they take a lot of wear and tear, but it also takes a lot of energy, both mentally and physically, to do so. And so an injury in itself can actually, you know, have a, that psychological con- consequence, but it can also... Be, be very frustrating, which makes it harder to concentrate and affect the person that way. But in a physical sense, just a, a trauma, a bruise, a hit, um, the, you know, the inflammation that goes to that area, the cytokines that, that actually cause the inflammation, they also they actually go to the brain too. And uh, we know that inflammation can be one of those things that can start, you know, one of those things I was telling you about that can kick off, you know, the, the uh, depression cycle. And mm-hmm. that inflammation that gets into the brain can also cause uh, a, a depression cycle to, to happen. And so we know that we behave a little bit differently when we've been injured and the recovery period is hard if we don't recover. So injury has a lot to do with, with the psychological consequences of a, of a person. 
And, and if the injuries are chronic, if you're in chronic pain all the time, whether you're an athlete or not, that also can cause depression. So add on top of that a lost position, cut from the team, in pain all the time. All of those are, are a great recipe to be at risk for depression. Well, let's go back, Nally, and you can start, Nally, man, you are, and it can be junk, can be sport. What is mental illness? Well, simply put, mental illness is, is a condition, and this is a condition that can affect a person's thinking, it can affect the person's mood, how they're feeling, it may affect their abilities, how they relate to other people, and how they function on a daily basis. You know, each person has a different kind of way that they may experience it. But with that diagnosis, it's very important to understand we're not talking about a day. We're not talking about a sad for, for a few days. We're talking about two or three weeks of experiencing these difficulties. And that could be simply having anxiety, ongoing, alcoholism. You know, so, so it's, it's really as simple as that. But when we hear the word mental illness, it's, it's like this red flag. And, you know, all of these feelings are associated when we hear the word mental illness, that there's something very wrong with us. It's, it's, you know, that's for someone else. That's not me. I'm not crazy. You hear all these things. And what we're trying to do is bring education in that one in four people experience some sort of mental illness in any given year. If that's the case, it's very, very common. And if it's very, very common, we need to remove the stigma around it because a lot of us are experiencing this. And we need to talk about it to break some of those barriers and those stigmas down. I will say that um, um, mental illness to me is best classified by, I like to use the word brain illness because it gets rid of some of that stigma that Natalie was talking about. Right. You talk about a brain illness, you say, oh, so it's a specific thing. It's not personal. It's a brain. Okay. But it's, right. it's a brain chemistry. It's a brain chemistry. Um, um, uh, uh, when something's gone wrong with your brain chemistry, I guess that's the easiest way to say it. And, the things that can cause that to happen can be injury, can be trauma, can be these things that we that happen to go through, can be a genetic disposition. It can be all things where our brain chemistry isn't quite right. It can cause schizophrenia, it can cause bipolar, it can cause depression. And depression is probably more of a syndrome than it is just a one thing, you know, the way that it approaches it. But it can, it can cause these uh, uh, anxiety disorders, you know, OCD. All these things are brain chemistry issues that come up that can be treated. And that's the main thing. It can be treated. You know, and sometimes when you think about mental illness, people get that stigma. It's like, oh, there's something wrong with that person. Just push them away into the, you know, like the, in the older days, we'll, we'll push them over here in this place where we don't have to see them anymore. But it's not. It's, it's a brain injury type thing. It's a brain illness that can be treated. And, um, and so that's how I look at it. Um, it, it it's uh, something that, like I said, can be treated, but it also has an effect on us and our mental well-being in the way that we think and the way that we behave. And, and I think some of, some of the stigma, it comes from looking at um, how people behave, whether it's the behavior or the emotionality. And so there's judgments associated with that. But I, I think Eric is, is, is absolutely correct. And, and, you know, what I really hope to do is that to, to look at depression, anxiety, whatever, that to be treated the same way as cancer, diabetes, a sprained ankle, an, a torn ACL, I, I would like those things to be looked at and viewed the same way, which is what? They all need to be treated, and they need to be treated with a, with a trained professional. And when we began to look at mental health, mental awareness, wellness, excuse me, and mental illness that way, then we began to open the door for folks who were afraid to say something to give them an opportunity to say something and get help because there's a lot of people experiencing things and they don't want to say anything. And that's very dangerous. You know, we got to take a break, but you said something real good, Nellie, and I think that goes back to what you, uh, Eric, and we're going to talk about it 
on the second half but with your book, Real Man Cry, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do cry. And that's like saying, well, now he said, people don't want to, uh, man, something wrong with me. I got, but they want to be a man. They can have a man, but you're not. But am I right, Eric? Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with our finish up. This is James, and we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're hooked up with loving that sports talk. James Loving and his guests want to hear it from you. Call us at 1-888-346-9144. That's 888-346-9144. Or drop an email to lovingthatsportstalk at yahoo.com. Now, back to the show. This is James Loving, your host for Loving That Sports Talk. I have my guest, former NFL player, Eric. If you still there, Eric? I'm here, man. All right, we got the best um, person that could ever help people out there, Nally Grace, and we all know Nally, your license. Am I right? Yes, licensed clinical social worker and a certified alcohol and drug counselor. Yes, she is. So, I mean, you get the best out of the best today. And like I, I'm gonna put on my um, after the show, I'm gonna put on there that uh, we're gonna do a show one day with you guys and where everybody call in and ask you guys questions, and I just sit back and listen. So. I'm totally uh, over that. We want to get through, you know, got some more questions in before we go off. I like, now that you talking in there, you get to talk to, you know, the listeners out there. But, you know, this one, I'm, I'm pretty, I just want to hear what, this one is the gets me that I'm more, um, want to hear the answer to, you know, and the help. Not the answer, but the help. Where can you go is, um, discuss performance stress, short term stress versus long term. Who wants to go first? Eric or um, Nally? Eric, you want to take that? I, I, I didn't catch that part, last part. Oh, I'm sorry. I said discuss performance stress, short-term stress versus long-term. Discuss the performance? I'm sorry. I'm sorry my phone can't hear me now, Eric. Is that better? Yeah, that's the, 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 the stain came on next to my ear. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> more time. I'm sorry. Discuss performance stress. Short-term stress versus long-term. Oh, performance stress. Okay, got it, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Thank you. The, um, you know, because you know, athletes, you know, are trained to to have stress. I mean, actually, the stress is really, really a very helpful thing because it stimulates the body. You know, it activates you know, the um, adrenaline. It you know, the blood runs to the you know to the muscles and gets ready to activate. Your eyes dilate a little bit, so you can take more information in. And so it really helps your performance. And so we live in that world of short-term stress where it helps us activate, you know, but we also get immediate feedback to our situation. And so it enables to, you know, to take the stress back down the level where it should be when, when the performance is over. And that type of stress is really, really healthy. 
um, not just for athletes, but for anybody that has to get to do perform or whatever it has to do, or have to save their life and run or something, right? But the other exactly. type of stress, which is really, really um, knocks the body down, is when it stays activated and all those hormones stay in your system and, and without having a chance to release and come back down. And so one of the things that really stresses the, the body out is the unknown. In other words, worrying about the future, worrying about what's going to happen next, and the worry that, or worried about what happened and how it's going to catch up to you, worried about the past. Those things, those things will just tear you apart, and not only physically, but also, as I said, it's a mental toil. It affects sleep. It affects appetite. It affects uh, motivation. It affects decision-making, concentration. And so what you see sometimes is somebody gets off track, and they're not the short term, but they're thinking about things in the future, like, am I going to have a position next year? What happens in the off season? What happens when I just get, when I just get cut or I don't, I'm not playing anymore? What happens when I just got injured? All of a sudden, that long-term stress can start setting in, and if we don't handle it or understand it, that's the difference between that long-term stress and the performance stress. As I said, we, like, we live in a world of performance stress. You know, uh, in that immediate, it's great. You love it. I mean, it just it focus on certain things. You can hear, you know, a pin drop, even though 80,000 people are screaming. And so it's really heightened awareness and adrenaline. It feels good, and we love it. It's a long-term stress that hurts. And, and just to add on to that, when we're talking about the long-term stress, if you, if you have challenges coping or if you don't have the mechanisms to deal with that long-term stress or those long-term situations that you're presented with, that creates these deficiencies and can create maladaptive behavior. And so that's, that's another reason why we really have to surround, you know, our athletes with with the proper tools and the proper staff to assist them when these things come about to just like we train with, with, for them physically with different techniques and routes and all that, we need to do the same thing as it relates to behavior, emotionality, dealing with life. All of those things need to be added in the program for athletes on all levels. Yeah, you know, yeah, Natalie, I have a question uh, that just I want to, uh, I have really said how I have to affect it when they are in the off-season. Was that kind of what you was kind of saying in the short term and long when you said off-season? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear. It was, say yeah. that again. I said, I was actually there when he mentioned off-season. And one of my questions was how I have to affect it when they are in the off-season. Was that what you were kind of relating to when you were talking about learning to and short term? Yeah. yeah, partly because when you're in season, you know, you only have that one focus, which is, you know, you're mission-oriented, and you have a definite goal each week, what that goal is, or each day what that goal is, and how to reach it, how to make it. But also, you come in the off-season, also these life events that you might not have had to deal with, you know, come into play, you know, financial stuff, you know, how to make decisions that, that are long-term type decisions that take, you know, longer thought processes and setting things up that aren't in the short-term, immediate term that we're used to dealing with. And so that becomes very stressful, you know. And even the, even when a person leaves and they're not playing anymore on a professional sense, and all of a sudden the income that they made, they now have to try and stretch out and figure out how they're going to use that for their whole lifetime or at least, you know, to branch into another job. But that then becomes a whole long, another different animal as far as trying to plan that out and, and everybody's coming to you with different ideas, and you're trying to make these decisions, and, and it's not like that short-term decision-making process. And, the, you know, the other thing that, that, that causes that stress, you know, is, like I said, is that, is that unknown, the long-term, like, what is next? And yet, right. all these things you have to deal with. And, um, and, and yeah, and that's, that's, that's a big difference between knowing that I need a, I need a first down. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the other thing is that when you're dealing with that short-term, you know, what I call athletic stress, you know, you're still surrounded with your team and, and you know, your coaches and all of that. And when you're dealing oftentimes with after, the, after your life of sports has ended, you don't have that team surrounding you. You don't have those people, your trainers, your doctors, that kind of thing. You don't have that. And so it becomes a reality um, realization of what do I do? And there's no one coaching me. There's no one telling me. And there no, no one gave me these skills. 
to deal with this, you know, and so it becomes a very complicated thing to navigate if you don't have those supports in place. James, uh, um, you know, the, uh, you know, I've been, I've been asked by, well, how come athletes don't think, you know, about the future while they're playing so they'll be set up? <laughs> because, because in order to, to be involved in the sport, you have to put 100% into it so you stay in the sport, you know, and, and as soon as I start thinking about something else, that long-term stress starts setting in and it starts yeah. occupying my mind, I can't focus as hard, and so you don't do it, you throw it out. And, as, and you, know, you can't. And if you even, focus on it, you can't perform as well. That that's that's right. And so everything is about that moment, and you'll deal with the long term when it comes. But then again, like Natalie said, oftentimes the preparation isn't there. And why would it be there? <laughs> you know, right. Like now you got to deal with it, and, and it affects us. So yeah. So yeah. what you're saying is, and, and I was the same way. I was living for every Monday and paid that check, and that's how we live, right? And I think about what you were playing for, right? You want to look and say, um, three years from now, money, you won't be getting that check, right? Is that what you said? Oh, exactly. In fact, even to think that way would bring all kinds of anxiety and stuff to you, and it would, it would affect your performance. And so I can't think about that. Here's the best example I can give. It's um, the old-time pinball machines where you had the flippers, right? And so you're standing there playing the pinball machine, flipper, 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 yeah. trying to keep the ball up there. If somebody would have come and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, talk to me a minute about what you're going to do when you're done playing. Boom, there goes the ball, it just dropped. <laughs> so, don't bother me right now. I've got to get this thing going, right? And I, I think that's the difference because if, the, if to allow that to happen is a totally different type of stress than what the athletes used to performing for. You know, standing in front of, what, 80,000 people, you know, millions of people on TV and being judged for everything that you do is a lot of stress, but it's a stress that we welcome. It's the mm-hmm. unknown and the long-term stress that we've never had to handle that becomes a problem. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. I, I don't. I don't think um, anything that Eric said is off at all. I, and and you know, I just can't emphasize enough that for me, when I look at athletes, when I look at the sports community, I see I see a population that is very vulnerable in that there are a lot of services and there's a lot of supports that need to be provided. And I'm talking from, from Little League all the way up to elite athletes. And my hope and my focus and aim is to really encourage mental health professionals to really insert themselves in working with athletes and for the sports community to really open up to us and allow us to be the support, allow us to be a part of their team so that we can help them perform at their very best all the time. Yeah. Well, you know what? We don't, I mean, we only got a little time left, so what I want to get in, uh, Eric, first I want you to uh, talk about your book, uh, Real Man Do Cry, and then after you've done, now you take it in and show us what you're doing, your panel, who you have on, but Eric, I'm, I got to buy this book because you know, just sitting there talking, and, you know, I deal with, you know, talk with Natalie, and I didn't have to read through because a lot of that isn't, I, I, I did. And just to hear somebody like you that played it and, and, and know what it is, it, it's a blessing to know that I'm not the only one out there. I'm not, you know, I'm a man still, but I do cry, and I cried all the time. But go ahead, Eric, I'm sorry, go ahead, talk about Yeah, no, I, you know, I, when I wrote the book, you know, the title, Real Men Do Cry, it was, it was, it was a statement. It was saying, you know, that there are things that happen to us, and it doesn't matter how great of an athlete we were, uh, we are still human. And that means, um, you know, certainly there are things that sometimes, you know, you have to look at, and sometimes you have to take that step. And, and that can be a healing thing, you know. And, um, you know, mine was, was based, I wrote the book based on, you know, coming up in the world of sports, but playing sports, then being injured and being cut, you know, jumping out of a car that was going 75 miles an hour, you know, and, a, and a, when, I, when I thought this is it, there's nothing left to live for, you know, to not learning anything and, and watching, you know, my son go through it and, and having his death and then crashing and burning. And so that's what it is. But then the rest of the book is, is about some of the stuff that I've learned, but also how to apply it. You know, um, you know, and a lot of these things that we've talked about, you know, stress-wise and stuff, what does this mean? And, um, you know, it's based around, you know, having a, a, a healthy life and, um, and how to make some of these adjustments. But also how to become aware of yourself and what your 
what you're doing and how you uh, obviously can control your own life, but not in a you know in a in a supernatural way or a weird way, but just the idea of the more that we know, the more we can prepare for, the more that we understand, the less stressful things are, and the more tools we will have to cognitively handle them with. And see, there there aren't really any problems that we can't overcome. It's just the, what type of tools that we have that allow us to do that. And if we go down into depression and we go down and we quit looking for answers, then unfortunately anxiety sets in and anxiety leads to, you know, to alcohol, leads to other things to try and buy time because we don't want to think avoidance behavior. And so it leads us to a bad path as opposed to looking and saying there's something that I can do. I just need to find the right thing. And sometimes that means reaching out to somebody and saying, hey, I need some help in this area because that becomes a tool. You know, and um, and when things happen to us that um, that emotionally needs to be grieved, need, might be a traumatic event, then sometimes tears are in order, and that's okay because it's the bounce back. It's what we do about it afterwards that that counts. How can they order the book or get to the book to read it? Well, I'll bring the book out. I'll, I'll bring one out and I'll, I'll have it for you. I'll give it to Natalie. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in stores or. How do they purchase the book? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you can get it at Amazon.com, um, and you can order it through uh, Quality of Life Publishing. That's Q-O-L Publishing that's in, there in Florida. Okay, yeah, that's why I want How can they order the book so they can get one? That's what I want to... Gotcha. Uh, Thanks, James. I appreciate that. Sometimes I'm kind nope. of sick. No problem. <laughs> and I'm putting it on the site, too. So. Okay. Nally, it's your floor. Yes. And like I said, Nally, thanks again, you know, uh, even getting there, I got here and you being on, Nally, but tell us everything's going on great and how you've been helping and everything now. Well, it's, it's been very busy since the last time I've been on your show. And again, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm very excited. We're, um, uh, the organization, my organization, the One in Four Project, we are having um, an event um, that I'm, I'm really hoping that your listeners would be interested in. It is called the Behind the Jersey, Uncovering Mental Health in Sports. And what we're doing is we're having a one-day conference. And we've been, we at the One in Four Project, we've been really fortunate. We were able to partner with Swiss Dreams Educational Foundation. This is an organization that uh, mentors elementary school, young people through sports, mentoring, and we're going, the One in Four Project is going to be working with them to add a mental health component to that, so we're really excited to be partnering with them. And then the National Association of Social Workers, Illinois chapter, has joined in as a sponsor with us. Uh, We have a, a Canada organization, the Hustle NL Athletic Development nonprofit organization is with us. And then we were really so excited to have the Monaghan Law Group, and they're really focused on advocacy for families and individuals with disabilities, and they they focus on working with mental health professionals who work with those communities. And so they're really great partners in what we're doing. And what we're doing is we're having a very unique event on April the 28th. And from 1 to 2, we're having a business card reception where we'll have refreshments, there'll be an opportunity to meet our panelists who will be speaking, and Eric Hippel is one of those panelists who's on the show today. We're very excited to have him. And um, we have our moderator is John Kelly from Fox Chicago Today. He will be there, along with a lot of other um, folks from the sports community and and people from the mental health community, and they will all be on one stage to really talk about what is going on in sports as it relates to mental health. And and how I describe it is we're getting ready to get real about mental health in sports. And so I would really encourage, you know, everyone to come out to this event. For more details, you can go to our website, the number one, I-N, the number four, P-O, P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot org. So that's one in four project dot org for more information and to register. Tickets are $15. 
And um, this will be a very unique situation where we have both sides of the coin, the athletes and, in my view, the professionals who need to be supporting those athletes on the stage together to talk about what is really needed. So I'm really hoping to um, see, see all of you there and come out to support this event. Well, I want to definitely thank Jean Nelly for, uh, you know, like I said, you're always welcome on the show. You're always, and, uh, Bill, you know, and, and definitely thank you, Mr. Hipple. You know, that Mr. Hipple, because, like I said, well, watching you in the days of life, it's amazing football. That was football there. <laughs> James, thank you. And, you know, I want to say that, you know, playing sports is fantastic. I mean, there are so many great things, you know, that outweigh some of the things that we hear that are negative about them. Sports are wonderful, you know, and, and shaping a, a young individual. And and um, it's great. I, I enjoy playing. So thanks, James, for the for the little bit of the praise. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you. And now, like I said, uh, I'm going to um, direct everybody to the event. And um, keep doing what you're doing, Nally. Really I appreciate that. What you doing? Um, thank, thank you for your Thank you. Go ahead, Nelly. Go ahead, Nelly. You can say something. We got something. Oh, I was just going to just say, just again, one in four project.org, or you can go to my website, nataliegraves.com. So either way, you can get the information there. Uh, send me an email, and I'll get it out to you on Loving That Sports Talk. At Yahoo.com. We'll get it out there now, and I'm looking forward to seeing you out there. Uh, hey, man, looking forward to seeing you, too. Thank you very much, James. Hey, and thank you for your show. Okay. Great job, man. Very, very well appreciated and great job. Good show. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, yes. Have a good day. All right. Thanks, James. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Loving That Sports Talk. But don't worry, James Loving will be back next week, Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready to love more sports talk then. And keep in touch with James all week at lovingthatsportstalk at yahoo.com. 